Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 19 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shatama, and today we are going to look at the importance of self-regulation in being a non-anxious presence. Self-regulation is the ability to keep your anxiety in check, your own anxiety in check in those anxiety-producing situations. So you will feel anxious inside, but if you can keep it from coming out in a way that is harmful, if you can self-regulate, then you have a better chance of having a helpful interaction with somebody or at least not having a harmful interaction. So self-regulation is a key to being a non-anxious presence. To the extent that you are self-differentiated, you are better able to regulate yourself. And this is because when you're self-differentiated, you're not focused on defining others. You are focused on defining yourself. When you're self-differentiated, you're better able to articulate your own position while giving others the freedom to disagree. By definition, this is regulating yourself. This is not trying to define others, not trying to blame others, not allowing your anxiety to spill out onto others. And that really is the the opposite of self-regulation. The opposite of self-regulation is defining others. One clue is when you use you. You are way off base. You make me so mad. You are not on my side. This is defining others and not self. So this is not self-regulating. And as we know from Murray Bowen, who is the pioneer of family systems theory, the best that we can hope for is to function in self-differentiated ways 70% of the time, and most of us would do well to be at 50% of the time. This means that at least half the time we are not self-differentiating. It's important to point out here that self-differentiation is not selfishness, but it's self-definition with emotional connection to the other. That means we're able to express who we are and what we believe while giving others the freedom to do the same. This actually creates deeper relationships in life and is less selfish. It's less about outcomes and more about our ability to regulate our own anxiety and really be ourselves. Disconnecting from an anxious person is easy to do, but it makes things more difficult when we withdraw emotionally from others. They get even more anxious and perhaps even more dysfunctional. The challenge is to remain in relationship with those who are anxious while remaining non-anxious ourselves. This creates emotional connection and actually helps others because it does not take away their pain. It doesn't take away their responsibility for their own condition. Instead, it helps them to keep from avoiding their own pain. In other words, it gives the problem back to them. And that's really a gift to them because the only way that they are going to be truly be able to work through something is if they deal with it themselves, not by unloading on us and then us giving them the fight they are looking for, which helps them to avoid their own pain. Self-regulation 
requires self-awareness. Non-anxious leaders do feel anxious inside. What they're able to do is recognize their own anxiety and keep it in check. When others are unleashing anxiety all around you, the key is to recognize the difference between process and content. Recognizing emotional process is a reminder that when people are anxiously defining you, that you don't want to get into arguing content with them. What you will do is you will give them the fight they are looking for. In other words, when people are defining you, they're unleashing their own pain. They're unloading their own pain on you and avoiding dealing with it themselves. And if you get defensive, if you argue with them, then they are able to avoid their own pain. This is kind of what triangling is. It is, uh, I, I use the term, it's the kicking the dog thing. If you have a bad day and dealing with somebody at work and you come home and kick the dog and the dog bites you back, then you get to be mad at the dog. And of course, that helps you to avoid dealing with whatever pain you had. I should say that I don't advocate kicking dogs. It's just a common metaphor that really describes well this idea of pain displacement. It's the emotional process that's going on when people unleash their anxiety on you. So when you find yourself in this situation, when you recognize the emotional process of what's going on, you want to avoid arguing content. Because if you get defensive, if you try to convince them that you are right and they are wrong, you allow them to avoid their pain. You, you give them the fight they're looking for. Now, I have a rule of thumb for this, which is if somebody is defining themselves and they are doing it in a non-anxious way, then you certainly want to engage in content because they're acting in a mature way. They're being self-differentiated. They may have something to tell you that you need to hear. Just because we're self-differentiated doesn't mean that we are always right. The important thing is, is that we know the difference emotionally, emotional process-wise. So if somebody is self-differentiating, we definitely want to listen. We want to engage in the content. However, if they are not self-differentiating, then you want to try to get out of the argument. You want to try to not engage directly with them. When somebody is anxiously defining you, that's an emotional process cue that getting into content will allow them to avoid their own discomfort. So how do we self-regulate? How do we avoid getting into this fight that somebody might be picking? Family systems theory recommends two ways, being paradoxical and or playful. And you do that by defining self without getting into the content of the situation. Ed Friedman says the hardest thing to do is to push someone you love in the direction you most fear they will go. This is what it means to be paradoxical. It's not reverse psychology. It's not a Jedi mind trick, but it is a Zen-like detachment from the outcome. When you push somebody in the direction you most fear, what you're doing is you're detaching yourself from the outcome. You are not focused on defining them and what they should do. You're focused on regulating yourself. This is not easy to do, but to the extent you do it, more often you will get better at it. And what this does is it creates emotional space. When you over-function in somebody's emotional space, it closes the, the space. When you define others by trying to tell them what to do because you're concerned about them, you, you want them to do the right thing, it eliminates 
emotional space. So what happens is actually by caring so much, by caring too much, it perversely reduces the emotional space. It creates anxiety in the other person and almost certainly causes them to push back. Friedman gives an example on a video of when he, when his daughter wanted to go to college far away and, and he didn't want her to go. But he knew that if he tried to convince her to, to not go, that uh, she, she would push back almost instinctively. And so uh, he regulated his own anxiety and he pushed her in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah, go ahead. You should go. And, and she ultimately didn't. There's an opposite story of James Altucher, who is a podcaster, and he doesn't believe in college, so he didn't want his dollar, daughter to go to college, and he, he kept trying to convince her not to go to college. He offered her $80,000 not to go to college. You know, he used logic, he used emotion, he used every trick in the book, and of course, she went to college. She turned down the $80,000. So again, it's not reverse psychology. Par- paradox is just being able to create the emotional space by removing ourselves from caring so much about the outcome. So it is a, it, the effect is on us, not on the other person. Playfulness is a form of paradox that has the benefit of bringing down the anxiety in the room by using humor. And again, the biggest effect is on the self. It helps us to remain a non-anxious presence. It's a form of self regulation and it also helps to avoid getting into the content of the situation. Friedman says that the capacity to be playful doesn't come unless you are irresponsible. Playful is only playful if you have no investment in the outcome. So again, it's this detachment from the outcome and and it's not a detachment that is emotionally disconnected. It's a detachment that remains connected to the person while remaining detached from the outcome that they're looking for or you are looking for. In other words, you want to let them be themselves. You, you're self-differentiated. You're defining yourself without trying to define them. Friedman gives a couple examples of this kind of playfulness. One is the example of a female partner and a law firm who is accused of being pushy. He shared this on a video from the early 1990s. So this was some time ago, but as we know, women still get discriminated against for being determined and ambitious. The same qualities that are admired in men are used against women. So uh, the other partners were accusing her of being pushy and her response was, well, if you get upset when I get pushy, what will you do when I get aggressive? That's a playful response. And notice how she's not getting into the content of it. She's not defending herself saying, well, I'm not pushy. I'm just being just like you, da, 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 da. She's actually pushing in the opposite direction. And imagine the anxiety you might feel in that situation. You know, you want to defend yourself. Uh, You don't want to be accused of something bad like that. And so the paradox of that kind of playfulness is you're actually pushing them in the other direction. You're pushing the partners to go even further and say, well, gosh, you know, uh, it could even get worse. And she does it in a playful way that enables her to remove herself from caring so much about what they think. And Friedman shares that uh, she never got another comment from any of the male partners about her pushiness. On the same video, Friedman shared 
a story of a Latino man who is a controller of an Episcopal diocese, and he would frequently get comments from visitors to the diocesan office who would say something like, oh, you're the controller. Like, it was so unusual for a Latino man to be in such a high position. And this would likely make him anxious and probably want to defend himself, but he was able to be a non-anxious presence. He was able to self-regulate and even be playful, and his response would often be, well, at night I clean the bathrooms too, which pushes in the other direction. In other words, you know, when you're anxious yourself, you you are afraid that maybe you're going to upset somebody. That is your fear, and by actually being paradoxical, actually Focusing on not caring about the outcome of the conversation, not defining the other person, but being playful, you actually are able to stop anxiety in its tracks when coming from another person. Now, oftentimes, this is difficult. I always say that the best way to learn how to be playful is to grow as a self-differentiated person so you, you are less concerned about the outcomes of others. But if, if in certain situations, you can actually practice being playful if you know what is going to come and you can practice playful responses. The question is, are you able to pull it off in those moments? If, if you can't, if it comes off cross as sarcasm, it's best to not do it. But I share this just so you can get a sense for what self-regulation might look like when you are able to be paradoxical and playful. And there is a paradox to this paradox. There's a paradox to the Zen-like detachment. It's not really being detached from the other person. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's more being fully emotionally present. This is because you're in touch with your own anxiety and your own feelings. And you're in touch with the anxiety of the other. You know that the other person is anxious and triangling or unloading on you. You don't necessarily know where their anxiety comes from, but you know what's going on. And rather than just reacting and engaging in a fight or getting defensive, you're able to intentionally regulate yourself. This is what it means to self-regulate and to be fully present. Now, if you're having difficulty being paradoxical and playful, then the best thing you can do to self-regulate is just to listen. By definition, listening is being a non-anxious presence. It keeps you non-anxious because you don't really have to respond. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to argue. You just have to ask questions. And by definition, it's keeping you emotionally connected because you're asking what's going on with them. So if you can't push somebody in the opposite direction, in the direction of their own anxiety, then listening is the second best way to self-regulate. It's always best to use open-ended questions, who, what, where, when, and how, so that you're keeping the conversation going. Yes, no questions, closed-end questions can often shut down a conversation. And every time they try to define you or triangle you, uh, don't take the bait. Just keep asking questions. Keep going deeper. And in most cases, the anxiety will continue to dissipate. I always recommend that at the end you say, thank you for sharing. And if they're looking for some kind of response, if they're really pushing you into a corner after you say, thank you for sharing, just say, you know, I need to get back to you. That gives you the emotional space yourself 
to think about how you can self-define and provide a non-anxious answer, take a non-anxious emotional stand with them in a way that doesn't take on their issues, uh, allows them to keep their own issues for themselves, but stays emotionally connected. Remaining a non-anxious presence is the best way to deal with anxious people. It's not easy. It takes awareness in the moment. It takes awareness of emotional process of what's going on. Are they defining themselves or are they defining me? How do I keep my anxiety in check? How can I be paradoxical, playful, or how can I be a listening ear? For most of us, the tendency is to answer right away, even come out swinging. But if you can slow things down, if you can take a deep breath, if you can think about it, be intentional, and then respond, you have a better chance. You will feel anxious, but don't rush it. People are willing to wait for a response. It's okay to pause. It's okay to take your time. And the good news is you will get better at it. It is a life's work, but you will get better at it. So take your time. Practice being a non-anxious presence. And in the long run, you will see a difference in how you are able to deal with anxious people. So that's it for episode 19. Not a lot of show notes, not really any show notes, but I will invite you to make comments uh, or ask questions. So you can do that by going to the nonanxiousleader.com forward slash 19. That's number one nine. And you can leave a comment there uh, on that page. And I will respond right away there on that on the page and might even uh, answer a question in a future podcast. You can also get more resources at, at my website at the nonanxiousleader.com. So until next time, Thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at the nonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.